Oh, excuse me. Okay. How does it feel? Well, not good, but better than it was yesterday. Oh, that vocal rest. It's weird. I'm not a laryngitis-y person. Is it definitely laryngitis when someone loses their voice? Isn't that just sort of like a catch-all name for when you lose your voice? I thought it was a, di- a real disease, laryngitis, like that you needed to take an antibiotic for. Hmm. I don't think so. I think you just got to wait it out. Oh, fine. Hello? Welcome to Beetlejuice. Hello? With Jeff Lloyd. What? Because everything's better with the Beatles. Yeah, it's just something a bit more, because it sounds a bit dead when you hear it, just does an intro. How about this then? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. This is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Yeah, we'll have him, we'll have him. There's only the one. It was worth it for that. I think during the Beatles, Ringo was the... Uh was the most likely to have throat problems. That's interesting, because he was sort of the least singy one. Yeah, I know, but there's always this stuff <sighs> with his health, and uh, then there was this one time when he got laryngitis and tonsillitis, and they had to get Jimmy Nickel, this other drummer, in to replace him, which was the only time that a Beatle was ever replaced during the first tour of Australia. Oh, so maybe it was all connected to how he was a sickly child. Maybe. Think? And then in Isn't the... that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I find that sort of like weirdly reassuring that he's, was this sickly, he was the sickly child. He was sort of the, the least healthy through life in certain ways. And yet he's made it, it's, it's had no bearing on his ability to, to sort of inch his way into old age. Yes, yeah, so it's quite interesting, isn't it? Reassuring, um, I would say. Yeah, I think he's led a very healthy life since the 80s. So I think it isn't just that he got What's healthy sober. besides his sobriety? I think that probably... Which I think is a really big deal, but I'm asking if there's anything beyond, like anything I could be doing personally. Well, it is, is what I think part of it is. I think he's vegetarian but it's a thing with sort of lapses on christmas but it's not just that he's vegetarian i think because he is allergic to so many foods and had all this health stuff regarding food you know like famously when they went to india ringo took a suitcase full of baked beans oh you've told me that before yeah Yeah. I just think that probably his diet is quite simple and very healthy. This is the thing is that so many vegetarians I know, yourself included, although you're not especially unhealthy, but like there are vegetarians who eat super healthy because they're not getting all this crap from meat and they find like healthier protein sources. And then there are vegetarians who just basically eat a load of bread and are sort of some of the less healthy people that I know. But I would say that my diet is just by dint of the fact that it's vegetarian healthier than most people's. Anyway, so fine. So you think you're quite a healthy eater. I mean, I think you're healthy because you, well, I'll get into that in a little bit. George in the 70s did a tour. He he toured America and got terrible reviews. And part of that was that he had laryngitis. Yeah, what are they thinking? The show must go on. There must be sort of insurance to think about with life performance and so on. Paul is an interesting one because if you think he still sings at the age of 78, 79 singing songs like Helter Skelter. It's unbelievable. As a man in his 70s. I knew someone who knew someone who was on Broadway and they just wouldn't talk all day, like when they were doing eight shows a week. You just sort of wouldn't talk if you were in a Broadway show. But that can't be real. I mean, that's not sustainable for like years of a a run. I think I would get one of those Stephen Hawking type machines. Yeah. But maybe I'd have it in my own voice, not the Stephen Hawking voice. Can people do that? Isn't your voice done by the... Like, don't you get one of those because your voice is... Yes, but I'll tell you what I found really interesting. So presumably... Is he still alive? No, he died a couple of years ago, I think. But what's interesting to me is Stephen Hawking 
at the point that he started using that machine, that presumably was the preset voice that came with it and you couldn't change it. Whereas towards the end of his life, you would have been able to. Like, you can put a different voice in your sat-nav. My brother was telling me he's got Will Arnett's voice in his sat-nav. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So at that point, Stephen Hawking, presumably for the past decade of his life, could have changed to a more regular-sounding voice. But either it was unimportant to him or that voice had become part of his identity. Right. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting, yeah. That is interesting. All right, I'm going to ask you some questions now. Okay. All right, so... Are there songs that are Lennon songs, but but on which or for which Paul McCartney did a lot of the heavy lifting? Oh, so you mentioned this because I mentioned the song Girl. Mm-hmm. The Greek guitar bit was inspired by um, a band that Paul and Ringo had heard on holiday. Yes. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah, I think one of Paul's great gifts that he brought to the Beatles was his ability to punch up other people's songs. Paul. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So if you take the song Come Together, think about what that sounds like. Uh It's a great sounding record. Right. Arguably, it's a better record than it is a song, by which I mean, if you stripped everything away from it and just sang it with an acoustic guitar, it'd be fine, but it's the, the recording that makes it the arrangement. Whereas yesterday, you could play it on a recorder Right. And still, you know, the melody is beautiful. So take a song like Come Together. John had this idea. The the Come Together bit was a slogan that he'd come up with for Timothy Leary, who'd wanted John to make a campaign song for trying to get elected as governor of California. Right. And then the verses were kind of this Chuck Berry knockoff. And Paul said, oh, this is really good, but let's try and disguise it so it doesn't sound so much of a... Chuck Berry knockoff. So if you think about that record, it's been described as swampy. I think they described it as a swampy sounding song. Do you hear that? Yeah. And that is all coming from Paul. Uh So that's an example of it. Interesting. Um, Having spent the the week researching all their gardens, Mm. because we're coming a little bit out of lockdown in the UK on the day that we record this. And outdoor mingling is back. Six people from two households, up to six people from two households. I know I got that wrong. I think the two households, I think I accused your friend, Becky, oh, of being a rule breaker. Because you're so much of your identity recently has got, you've gotten like quite crazed about the rules in a way that, if I may say, I think it was very admirable and something in the last month has teetered on, I feel has gotten slightly obsessive. I'll tell you what was frustrating to me was in the, as they started relaxing the rules, as in not even from when the schools reopened, but a, a few weeks before that, when they said, look, here's what we're going to do on this day. It's going to be like this. It's going to, this day. It's going to be like this on this. At that point, people just thought, okay, I guess the rules don't apply anymore. That was what was frustrating to me. Yes, I get that. Mm, you spoke a lot about the Beatles gardens Mm. and I was wondering which do you think is most to your taste of the four which says you to you oh that's good so the gardens I mentioned were Ringo's house in Surrey which he sold I don't know 10 or 15 years ago he never lived there as a Beatle he lived there with Barbara Uh John's house which was out in the stockbroker belt called Kenwood where he lived with Cynthia and Julian it was a mock Tudor mansion. Paul's townhouse, 
in St. John's Wood. The dream. And then George's big sprawling huge thing. neo-gothic mansion in Henley called Friar Park. So I think the nicest garden by far would have been George's, but living in town is more to my taste. So you would go with uh, with Paul's for no other reason than that than it was in, it involved living in St. John's Wood. And just that you're living in the city and everything that city brings is close to you. Yes, but I'm just talking about the garden itself. Then probably George's, because like, why wouldn't no, you pick George's? No, because well, I think George's garden is amazing, and it was what he devoted decades of his life to. Are people allowed to tour it? No. Oh God. No. How I, tempting. I've got a friend who works on a very high-profile gardening program. Sure. A broadcast program, and he is desperate to do an episode of that show about that garden so who's still living in that house olivia Olivia, yeah with any kids or just olivia on her own has olivia found love since he died do you feel that these women do find love but then they have to continue to be the beatles widow and so they're not open about their romances i think that's true of yoko for for the decades after john was murdered there was certainly a gentleman whose company she enjoyed and possibly before john lennon was murdered oh but you know these are people from the 60s with their swinging relationships i sometimes feel like with their unconventional attitudes towards monogamy people in our age and others like just the other sides of our age so people like 30 years older than we are and everyone 30 years younger are not going to be monogamous like we are and we are the ones that really got screwed no pun intended. I like it. I know you do. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you don't know what you would like. Basically, I'm asking you if you'd like to do a menage. Um, so I, I don't know if Olivia is dating anybody. You don't know. Not publicly. But that garden, just to come back, let's bring it back to the... Okay, so this is what I want to yeah. know. She lives in that house. That is her primary residence. That's where she's had her lockdown. Yes. And she just does not lo- allow people onto the property. I don't know if anyone lives there with her. There are, you know, at some stages, members of George's family Do lived in lodges. Do we know if it's fallen into disrepair since his death? No, I think very much not. I think very much. So she, it has been part of his legacy and her continuing that to make sure this thing stays in good condition. Because it was, it was his life's work. Now he had. We talk about George Harrison the gardener. It wasn't just him. He had a, a team of ten gardeners working on it with him but i think he you know he was out there getting his hands dirty every day uh, yeah do you think that that garden and the fact that it sort of was his post beatles life's work is the sign of good or poor mental health so in other words you can you sort of hear this story of like there was this guy who was in the biggest band in the entire world and then it was done and what he did from that point on to bring himself joy was make this incredible garden and on the one hand that sounds like a beautiful way to spend a large portion of your life. On the other hand, you could be like, oh, there's this guy. And then he got like insanely famous as part of the most famous band in the entire world. And it sort of ruined him. And all he could do for the rest of his life was make his garden nice. Which do you think it is? I think if it was all he could do for the rest of his life, it would be disturbing. But remember, he he saved he, he, the British film industry. Oh, yeah. He was very passionate about Formula One. He's oh, toured the world as a fan Formula of Formula One. One. He had lots of holidays. They had houses overseas. I think they had a house in Australia, one in Hawaii. And um, where and, in Hawaii? I don't know. And and he also made a bunch of records. I think it's weird when I just said 
where in Hawaii? And you went, I don't know. And then went back into what you were saying. And as someone who's so obsessed with details about them, it, you the way you sort of tossed it off yes. as an irrelevance yes. is strange. I think it's because I've got no concept of Hawaii other than where it is. I think you'd love it if we went on the right family trip there. It's a long way though, isn't it? Yeah, we went to Australia. That wasn't pleasant. Said with respect to them. And that was, that was a work trip, not a family trip. So just, if, if we were at the right end of the aeroplane, I would definitely go to Hawaii. Just because you've never been to Hawaii. Yeah. And it doesn't interest you particularly. Is, no, that, is that where your Beatles obsession hits the wall? It's how big a part it plays. So I know that Paul bought Linda a ranch in Tucson, Arizona. John, towards the end of his life, bought a holiday home in Florida. I'm struggling to remember where so that was. So the holiday homes. Palm, Palm Beach, maybe. The holiday homes are just, it's where you, it's where you step, take a step back. The Beatles holiday homes is where you take a step back. I think you've always got to leave yourself room to grow. That's great. <laughs> what does the garden say about the man? That's a good question. It's difficult to say with rich people, isn't it? Because in George's case, it says a lot about him because I think a lot of how he viewed the world and nature and especially the modern world and how the Beatles affected him is told by his relationship to his garden. Oh, although, okay, okay, maybe this is illuminating then because I think you can't know anything about John from John's garden. I think mm-hmm. he was just a rich guy who bought a rich guy's house and had people look after the garden. That is sort of what I felt was true about you in your wealthier days, that you b- bought this beautiful house in Sweden and all this attention had been paid to the inside of the house and then the outside land was like a dump. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Paul really loves nature, so he's got this house out in Sussex. You like nature. Everyone I likes do, nature, I do, but I think Paul's they? really into... You don't care. You, you have no interest in working the land and neither did John. I, th- I, th- I think that's true of him. Paul, uh, uh, surely Ringo didn't like to work the land. Although I think Ringo actually is quite into plants. When people first had websites, Ringo combined that with being a middle-aged man with a camcorder. You know, when, like when people's parents first get a camcorder and just then just wander around pointing it yeah. at stuff. There would often be videos he'd upload of his garden in Monte Carlo and he'd sort of be wandering around going, strange things in the bushes. Oh, look, there's Barbara with a trowel. Um, so I think Ringo had some interest in it. And I think he would always go to the Chelsea Flower Show every year. Oh, nice. So I think John was perhaps least interested. And then Paul is more like, your, I think he's out in the forest making tracks and driving a sure. tractor, that kind of thing. I'll tell you what I think about Ringo. I think he loves beautiful things, but doesn't want to put the effort in. That's what, what you're just... Maybe, Chelsea yeah. Flower Show, Camcorder, that's what that says yes. to me. I think that the worst women's names are Barbara and Nancy, and I just wanted to say that. Really? I think Barbara and Nancy are two terrible names. Okay, let's do Beatles. Okay, okay, I've got it. We're going to do Beatles women's names. Yeah. So you have to put these in order. Are you ready? From worst to best? Yeah, we're just going to do sort of wives slash long-time partners. Worst to best, or best to worst. I think best to worst is more fun. Okay, ready? <clears throat> Cynthia. Yeah. Yoko. Mm-hmm. Jane. Mm. Linda. Mm, these 60s names. Heather. Nancy. Maureen. Barbara. Oy, these are terrible names. Patty. Oh, that's okay. And Olivia. Oh, okay. So we have a daughter and I have to name her. Yeah. Uh, these, this is what I'm choosing yeah. from. Okay, so I think Yoko is actually a really nice name. Yes. But I think to... 
You couldn't call your child Yoko without people thinking you'd name your child after Yoko Ono. Yeah, so yes. I'm just gonna I, I I'm just gonna take that out. I think it's a nice name. But no, I think I'll include it. Okay. Okay. So I think the the two nicest, and I'll put these side by side, are Yoko and Olivia. I think of those both as properly lovely names. Yoko and Olivia. Do you think we should put May Pang in? I'm now wondering if we should put May in. Oh, I like the name. I mean, May is like my all, one of my all. I think if like, Jane Asher goes in, then, then May, May Pang, Pang should also in. go in, yeah. Okay, so May is my first choice, best ever name. Okay. Yoko and Olivia tied for second. Next is Patty. Little, And I love Peppermint Patty as a character, but... And then Heather. I think if Peppermint Patty was crossed with no. Lucy... That that would be a fair approximation of you. Okay. I mean, that doesn't sound nice, but whatever. Can people insult you and act like it's not an insult? I think Patty, Patty's kind of cool and Lucy's kind of bossy. She is, but I'm not. I'm not actually cool, and I am, and I'm actually not bossy either. But you like to pretend that I'm, I'm bossy. Like to pretend that I'm bossy. Do you feel like you're with a formidable no, woman? You can't understand that, Patty. You're, bossy. you're terrifying. Jane, I like Jane more than Heather, which is next. And then Cynthia, Linda, Nancy, Maureen, and Barbara are all awful names. <laughs> That's what I think. That was fun. Yeah, that was okay. Um, what about shortening Maureen to Mo? Oh, I love it. A girl named Mo. That's great. There you go. Okay, that would be fine. Thanks, um, Mo. When you talked about Paul's, we've got to move on from this garden thing, but Paul's geodrum, when you mentioned something and smoking herb, and I assume that was you alluding to marijuana. Yes. And I just want everyone to know that you have never, ever, 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 ever tried any drugs and never, ever, 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 ever smoked a cigarette. What's interesting about this is I, I don't consider it private information, but I, I tend not to get into that with people, whereas it's often the first thing you tell people about me. I think it's such an interesting thing about so it's quite rare and the only other person i've ever known who's like that is my best friend maggie i think it's weird that i've never met anybody like that and then the only two people i've ever met who are like that one of them i married and the other is my closest friend well i grew up in a house full of cigarette smoke and as a kid i just hated it so much because on the TV all the time or at school, it was telling us, don't smoke, smoking's bad for you. And I've got a family who were just smoking all the time. So that's your answer to that question. But I didn't even ask it as a question. I was no, just... I know. But okay, that's the answer to why. And then when I was um, an alcoholic, I had such a bad relationship with alcohol, something in the back of my head thought I, I could spiral very easily. But it's so I sort of drew a line, which is a stupid line to draw, but I drew a line. No, I think it was really smart of you to draw that line. But what's interesting is that like, oh, that at 18 or 17 or 16, before it was clear that you had an alcohol problem, when you were just like a kind of teenager running around the way that teenagers do, that you never smoked a joint one time with a group of friends. Yeah, I just don't think it was an option until I, I, I don't remember seeing a Kids drug. weren't knocking around smoking pot all the time? Not the ones I was knocking around with. Hmm. Like the kids I knocked around with, for the most part, didn't smoke weed either. Like my best friend in high school didn't try it until he was in his 20s. But other kids did. And eventually you crossed paths with them. I'll tell you what. You were more of a social outcast than I was. But why? (laughs) That's true. Why I think it's sort of funny is here I am as a man approaching 50. And I still feel uncool and a bit embarrassed when oh, you bring up that I never smoked do? a cigarette or took any drugs. Yeah. You feel uncool and embarrassed? Yes, even when you bring that up. I'm gonna I'm thinking, oh people are gonna think he's such a square. Oh, I don't it's not being square. Being square is like 
dressing, like wearing a bow tie. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I think being square is. I think it's sort of, I think it's very interesting. I think it makes you a singular character. Mm. Who had a round bed? Someone had a round bed. So Alice oh, it was Cooper. A gift. Yeah. Alice Cooper gave Paul a round yeah. bed. Do you think you could see a round bed in someone's house? And not think they were sexual deviant. And not think that they were sexually <laughs> deviant, yeah. Have you ever been to a friend's house and seen a circular bed? No. I think another uh, red flag would be a water bed. Yeah, but I've, I I think water beds were just in the 80s. I don't think anyone has one anymore. I'd love to go on a water bed, though, just to know what it feels like. <sighs> what about a vibrating bed? I don't think that's a real thing, is it? Um, they famously in motels in America, you put a coin in and your bed will vibrate. Oh, I'm not sure that's happening anymore, but okay. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I think I'm basing it on about. a scene from um, Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Oh, right, of course. Um, all the Beatles preferred bathing to showering. Mm. You prefer bathing to showering to the extent that you refuse now to shower. You never shower. You sit in a bath of hot water. And then sometimes wash. <laughs> and then get out of the same trough of water that you were in. A friend of mine used to do the sound and lights at a lot of medical conferences. And he's heard dermatologists talk about how bathing is more hygienic. More hygienic? Yeah. Really? Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. Oh, do you know what? I don't know. You want to know something interesting? So I saw my friend Becky yesterday. It came out that her husband, she washes her own towels. They do separate laundry because she was raised to never do a man's laundry. <laughs> so, like, she does her laundry and he has to do his. So they wash their sheets, like, once a month, which I, I'm going to say right now I find disgusting, which I said to her face, which is why I feel comfortable saying it in this context. She washes her own towels, she thinks, once every three weeks. And she says she's sure that her husband hasn't washed his towel since before Christmas. Uh-huh. I was repulsed by this. She says that his defense of that is that all a towel does is blot clean water off your body and then dry on, like, a heated towel rack. Now... We're not the cleanest people. They shower every day, whereas you straight up don't shower. And maybe you bathe, what, twice a week? And I think I probably shower four times a week. So who's more disgusting, us or them? Or are we all four of us just pigs? So in the negative column, they have their bed sheets and he has his towels. Yeah. And in the negative, in our negative column, we have a lack of frequency of bathing slash showering. I think that we're about as disgusting as each other on, we're just all on pigs. balance. But we're we're, no, I don't pigs. think we're all pigs. I think the I modern think that showering idea, every day is a yeah. problem, and it's bad for your skin and your hair. I think it's just bad. In the Middle Ages, people bathe once a year. Yeah, but I think that was a disgusting period of time. <laughs> um, Anyway, do you feel that something about the Beatles has encouraged this bath thing in you? No, not at all. Somebody tweeted me on a, as the show was going out yesterday to say it's because they're northern. So I think northern people prefer baths. Why? I don't know. It's colder? Maybe colder. Remember that the south is richer. So if there is a new innovation, which to some extent having the type of plumbing and boilers necessary for an electric shower were in this country even as late as the 80s. 
the North would be a bit slower to have that in a widespread way. Okay. You refer to George Martin as old golden ears. Yes. Are there any stories that exist about him being disrespected by the Beatles? The two that spring to mind are Paul, when he wrote She's Leaving Home, was desperate to get it recorded. Mm. And George Martin was recording with another artist, I think out of, I think it was Cilla Black, but I'd have to check. So, what year are we talking? 67. So they're very successful yeah. by this stage. So Paul then goes and gets another arranger to write the... Because he was so annoyed that he wasn't there at his beck and call. I think so, yes. <gasps> oh, yeah. shit. And then do we know anything of what... Like, has George Martin... Did he ever say anything negative about them in public? Yeah, so I think George Martin felt... He felt upset by that and and said as much. There are a few things, actually. I think George Martin... I think he was neither particularly tight-lipped or loose-lipped. Right. I think he... He really loved them and he loved the work they did together. But I, th- I think he, he wasn't be- reverential toward them. Yeah, I, th- I think he was deservedly res- reverential towards them. But he wasn't a sycophant. Maybe, he maybe was. I just think anybody that close to the Beatles, it's like being that close to a mafia family. There's a mm. code of silence that goes with it. But but in terms of them disrespecting George in the seventies, John was extremely dismissive of George Martin. He uh-huh. said that he would want to go back and record all the Beatles records. What was that about? I don't know. Just I mean, him having a crazy episode? Yeah, maybe, maybe. There is some consistency to the things John says, but also he he could say very provocative, hurtful things and then have to patch it over with that person, which he did with George Martin. They went out for dinner and, and by all accounts, he was a bit sheepish about it. But he... I think he got to be in his bonnet about people calling George Martin the fifth Beatle. And his point was, well, if it was all down to you, George, where are all these other bands that subsequently you've gone on to uh, do oh, the same sh- thing for? shoot. Okay. Yeah. Which again, is, where it isn't fair. Where are all those? Like, what, what about that is fair? Because just true. I think what isn't fair about it, which might be easy to ask, is... Pretty much everybody just gets one shot at that stuff. Yeah. It's Most not like, people where's just, the next yeah, one? You yeah. just have one in you. And what the Beatles was, more than anything, was all these unlikely convergences and coincidences of people and events and time and circumstance. Mm. And not just was it these four boys born within five or six miles of each other in Liverpool who all happened to be the right elements, but George Martin was another one of those... And Nothing that anybody did after the Beatles was the Beatles. So it's it's a bit unfair. Okay. I want you to do an impression. Even with my laryngitis, which does seem to be a lot better. Yeah. Oh, my God. You've just been taking it the whole time. I'm joking. I don't really think that, obviously. You you played the version of my brave face that was... That was a, not the one that was... I don't even know what the right language is for this. It wasn't the finished version. It was oh, a fine. demo. Thanks. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. And you talked about the, the finished version as being 80s-tastic. Hmm. Do an impression to me of an 80s-tastic sound. <sighs> not do an words. Make a sound. Sing something that feels 80s-tastic. Well, 80s-tastic would be... Um... For example, but that's not that. That record isn't. That's just an example of eighties tastic. You want to give me a second example? 
Well, I can do loads of synthesizer riffs from the 80s, but I can't, the sound, the production that I'm talking about, I can't do an impersonation of because it's all to do with the type of studio effects they were using. Don't you feel that My Brave Face is one of the songs that we sing around our house the most? Yeah. That one of us sings and then the other one will harmonize with? Yes. We're pretty good harmonizers. I wish we can't really do it on a podcast because of. um, Where I can find my brave face. Yeah, even even with the laryngitis. No, I think we're going to get sued by uh, MPL for breach of copyright. Oh shit! Okay. Um, (laughs) If George Martin, the last orchestration he ever did was on "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Why was that the last one? Because they were putting together the music for this Cirque du Soleil show which opened in 2006. And the music for that show is Giles Martin really did most of it. And he did, I think, a great job taking out bits of Beatles songs and using them as samples and loops and mixing them into other songs. So it was, in a way, it was new Beatle music. But what was interesting to me about it was that nothing on those records wasn't done by the Beatles. So it was perhaps a clue as to what in 50 years' time, if all that stuff was made available, musicians might be able to do with the Beatles music to keep it alive. George Martin wrote and orchestrated that backing to While My Guitar Gently Weeps, but the reason it was the last thing wasn't just because of how old he was. It was because his hearing was really gone by that stage. Do you remember when we met him? I did meet him. But the the reason I mention it is I, I know Giles a little bit. Right, and he couldn't hear. Giles introduced me to his dad, which I was so excited for because... Don't I mean, tell John, but it was like meeting the fifth Beatle. Yeah, 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 very much so. And I, I had a story which I thought George would love. And he just smiled and nodded politely, which people do a lot of the time when I tell them a story. But then Giles said, oh, my dad would have loved that story, but his hearing is so bad, he, he probably couldn't tell what you were saying. Do you want to tell the story now? Yes, it was about chocolate Olivers, the Go biscuits. On. John Lennon, his favourite biscuits, and I think they would have them in studio in the studio at Beatles sessions, were Huntley and Palmer's chocolate Olivers. When he was in New York, he would have them shipped over, and I think he made a joke that he would do a Beatles reunion if he was paid in chocolate Olivers. They were his favourite biscuits. Okay. There was a point at which some years ago I tried to buy some. In fact, I did buy some and they were nice. And then I tried to buy some more and it was a really hot summer. So it must have been that summer that that Martin Scorsese film came out. Right. And basically when the weather gets above a certain temperature, they can't manufacture these biscuits anymore. Okay. Because they can't transport them from the... They come in metal tins and they can't get them from the factory to the shops without them melting. So if the weather goes above a certain temperature, they have to close down production of Huntley and Palmer's chocolate olives. Oh, my God. It's a good fact, isn't it? Yeah, that is a good fact. Why do you think they agreed to do the Cirque du Soleil thing? George Harrison was a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil. That's fascinating. Why do you think... What, what was it doing for him? It's an interesting question. So I think part of it was whoever the the big cheese, Le Grand Fromage, the Cirque du Soleil, was a huge Formula One racing fan. And I think George got to know this guy through that circuit because George was obsessed with it. Um, And then people just like it. I went to see it for the first 10 minutes, not the Beatles one, which I haven't seen. For the first 10 minutes, I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And then... 
from that point on, I don't know how long it went. The next two hours, like, yep, there's somebody here coming down a rope. Oop, there's a bendy lady. It seems really like it wouldn't be your kind of thing. You have no um, interest in anything about athleticism. So that could be watching a sport, but it could also be anything dance related. Like physical feats do nothing for you in a way that's actually quite extreme. They do very little for me. I like a spectacle, though. Yes, but you. But you're, this you're is my almost... point about Cirque du Soleil. The spectacle, for me anyway, it wore off after ten minutes. Um, knowing that Jennifer Lopez has been to Cirque du Soleil, the Beatles one, has that softened her, you to her at all? <laughs> you hate her so much. Like I'm sort of fascinated by J Lo, and any time I follow her on Instagram because I find her just absolutely bizarre and interesting. And you are mean to me if we're in bed at night and I'll, I'll be like looking at Instagram and if there'll be like Jennifer Lopez will have a video and it'll be like advertising her new skin creams or whatever. And I'll think I want to watch this. And you act like I've been listening to loud music at one in the morning at full blast for a half hour that's how you respond if I watch a minute of Jennifer Lopez on Instagram. Have you noticed I've tried to get better about this? Um, no, I haven't noticed that. So I have but, been but putting some you, effort in. Then that's really nice, and and that and that shouldn't go unnoticed. But the sort of hostility that just seeps out of you, like you're so repulsed to be with a woman who'd watch no, an Instagram that's video that's by JLo. No, that's not true. That's not true. If you, if you want a serious answer, like I've really thought, is there some misogyny at the bottom of it? I don't know if there is or not. No, but- I think that whatever part of you, like when you were 21, was would be judgmental about any woman that you would have wanted to involve yourself with if she didn't have good taste in music or whatever. Like if she didn't like the cool stuff she wouldn't have been the woman for you. And by a man of 35, you'd moved on from that way of thinking. I think that part of you... Is residual. Yeah, I think it's like you're still... It's... it's You're like the 21-year-old in you. It's like, I can't believe I wound up with this woman who watches J-Lo videos on Instagram. Okay, so at the end of your Beatles show... Yes. You were talking about these two songs... One by John, one by Paul, both inspired by their first visit with the Maharishi. Well, it was not their first visit. It was a lecture while they were in India. A lecture on nature. About nature. About yes. nature. And so Paul's made the cut. Yes. And John's didn't. Yes. And how much it, it, it how much did ego is it is it just sort of like Oh, whatever. Yeah, I get it. Paul's is better. Or would that have been a huge struggle and people not talking for a couple of days? And Or do we know? Is it just conjecture? I think it's just conjecture. Like We've got much more insight into what it was like to be George not being able to get your songs on Beatles albums yes. than it was the, the wrangling between Lennon-McCartney. Around that time, John had a bit of a pout about... Hello, Goodbye, being a single rather than I Am The Walrus. So just before that. So it is a point in the Beatles where things are starting to shift in terms of if they need a single Mm. off an album, Paul's are being chosen 
more often. Finally, you showed me quite a few pictures of um, the Beatles in short shorts. Yes. Why were you focusing so heavily on that this week? With your that photos? was just on Twitter because there was a heat wave coming and I'm always thinking, what can I put it's on not Twitter? Just, there's not a heat wave coming. It's going to be 70 degrees for two days and then it goes back it's, to being... It's 20, 22, I read. I don't know what that is in old money, but... Um, so I like, it's so sad that, oh, it doesn't matter. But I just, you like what? That each of us refuses to learn the other one's no, scale I was of like, temperature. Jeff, for the international audience, we need. To, and then I was there isn't really one. It's just that my parents and their friend David listens to it. <laughs> but also, but like, you say international, you mean American. Most of the world understands that a system where water freezes at zero and boils at hundred is a better system. But you're doing this. I don't even want to get into it. Go on. So, did you enjoy the pictures of the Beatles in short shorts? No. Oh, because you mean sexually. Well, I just thought it was something to I look like at. Them. Yes, there's something to look at, and that's always fun. But I can, you know, I can really eroticize those gentlemen and I don't in their short shorts and the reason is is that most of my like just men don't wear short shorts anymore it's just not a thing mm. anyway the point is is that all of my associations of seeing men in those kinds of shorts are like old photos of my dad that I've seen from the 70s and 60s so it feels too much like looking at my own father well what is weird to me is I think part of the reason you like me to have a beard is because it reminds you of your own father. Well, that's probably true, but that's like a different... It's not like my only real association of beards is my dad. Whereas my only association of a certain kind of short short is like these old photos I've seen of my dad in the in the 70s. So just on this thing of you um, not finding those pictures of the Beatles at all erotic in their shorts. Yeah. Last week before the show, the night before, I tweeted a picture of the Beatles in hotel beds saying to people, oh, set an alarm for Beetlejuice tomorrow morning. Sure. It's the way I'm trying to... Yeah, engage. You know, we're all just trying to engage, aren't we? Engage, engage the audience. Anyway, there was this one picture of John that a couple of people seemed to have a reaction to in that way. They were like, oh, that Sexually. picture of John's doing it for me. So I thought I'd show it to you and see what you... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Why, though? This is John on a hotel bed. His hand is... It's not about where his hand is, because his hand is just lying there. It's like, um... What is it? It's so... Because, like, there's nothing about the George one that's sexy. He's just... It's real... It's some kind of version for straight women of whatever kind of like a come-hither wantonness would be in a woman, I guess. Right. That really is something. That's really something. Maybe I'll print it out for you. <laughs> Why? I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get to have it ever again. Did you... Um... You could pose like that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to... Uh, uh... I'm going to hire a professional photographer and restage that photo okay. for your that birthday present. Sweet. That'd be really sweet. All that remains is Hugh from the Teetles. I loved him so much. I don't have any questions about him, I don't think. Okay. I keep talking to these people and wishing we were friends in real life. That's good. Well, you could. Why don't you try to forge a friendship with one of them? You've seen what happens when I try and forge a friendship. It tends not to go you well. Know, I do think all I want for you is to make some new friends. And yet, anytime I see a sign of you forging a friendship, I'm like really rude about it. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I think you get used by people sometimes, probably myself included. I've got nothing to offer. But you do. You have a lot to offer. I don't want to compliment you on this. It's annoying when people do that with their spouses. But I think that part of it is, I think part of it reflects terribly on me. It's like, 
I don't know, wanting more of your time in a certain way. Like, I think that I want you to have more friends, but really what I want is access to your time whenever I want it. But you don't want access to my time to have a lovely time as husband and wife and do some fun things. You just want access to my time so that I'll um, work with you on stuff. I think that that's true. But I think it's about wanting enough for both. I do think that. So I think like if I if we had a day and you were going to like we were going to like do some work together, but also do a nice bike ride and it was going to be sunny and you were like, oh, actually, so and so got in touch and they want me to go on a walk with him. I'd be like, that doesn't work for me in my schedule today. So that reflects terribly on me. And in, in, in if I said I really want to do it, it would be the bike ride that had to suffer, not the. Yeah, and, right. With you. Yes. And then it would have to be. The bike so you ride. prioritize working with me over spending time with me yes that's probably true but that's about a bunch of my own shit not anything to do with you or not enjoying your company but it does ultimately say that the more valuable thing to you is <gasps> no working with me more than my company i mean it literally does because that's the one you prioritize out of the but two that's just because of like all the pressure i feel too and that you do put on me to have a successful career <laughs> Anyway, Hugh. I'm going to go follow the Teetles now. Do he's so nice. He's just great. May I introduce to you the act you've known for all these years. Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. <laughs> Should we talk See about then. the Teetles? Because I... I oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, Twitter, is, is Twitter the main home of it? Just Because Twitter's where I see it, but... Well, we accidentally... The idea was to make a zine you know, because I'm slightly more old school. Yeah. But once I'd made the initial zine, which wasn't anything like the zines I sell now, I didn't know what, what to do with it. You know, I've just got a zine. <laughs> so I thought I'd set up a little thing to share it and maybe people might want to buy it. Didn't happen at all. So the, the tweets kept going and the zine was forgotten. <laughs> and just reached a certain point where I thought, I don't want it to just be tweets. I don't want it to be this thing that you, you see and it flies by and then you forget about it. Whereas a zine, you know, the old fashioned idea... It's there. It's a thing you can hold in your hands. So I think there are going to be young people listening to this who who don't even know what a zine is. But we're talk, talking about a fanzine that you would get on the counter of record shops. that often got a real DIY aesthetic. So wh- where were you planning on, on selling the zine or was it going to be a mail order thing? Oh, I had no plan at all. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go into it. I didn't know what I was doing. It's just an urge, you know. Sat in work thinking, what should I do to pass this afternoon? I thought, I'll make a zine I've, I've always done them for, in a variety of different ways but a Beatles one felt like it had to be a big deal because it was you know and I used to buy zines as a kid you know um there's one called Rain uh which I wrote for when I was about 12 or 13 so it was part of my life and I didn't want to lose that in a way but the joy of a zine is that you then get others to write for it as well so it becomes a collaborative thing which is why I like it you know it's not just about me it's about lots of people and and what was the um what was the light bulb moment with the Beatles and tea? Hey, that's a good question. I, I've got a friend who um, came to see me in Liverpool. She lives in Manchester, and she'd remembered seeing a photo of George holding a cup of tea in the street. Uh, the photos in the street, and we tried to find it. And we couldn't find find it, so we started to go into some of the, the cafes around Matthew Street. And fighting was a bit weird going in, excuse me, we've got a photo of George holding a cup, cup of tea. But we found it and it was it was a really nice photograph. And it just got us talking about why we like tea, why we like the Beatles, why that photograph. And there was just a sudden feeling of I'm gonna find any more photos other than the tea. 
and there's loads. There's absolutely loads <laughs> of them. And that was four years, years ago, and I'm still doing it now. It's a funny old thing to be doing, but... So, so you were collecting these for a potential zine before they ever ended up on Twitter? Yeah, I guess so. I was going to do something with them, but I didn't know what. And a zine made sense. It fit into my idea of what to do with things. If you like something, make, make a zine about it. it. makes sense, you know. How quickly, once you put it on Twitter, did people start finding it? Yeah, it was weird. It took on a life of its own. I, I had a, Social media is a funny place, I'm sure you're aware. And I wasn't really sure what I was doing. So I was interspersing the Beatles tweets with other stuff. And that was, was, I wasn't what I wanted to do. So eventually I sort of quit and I walked away from it. And people said, oh, don't quit. I was like, why? Why why shouldn't I quit? And they said, it's nice to see these tweets about the Beatles drinking tea, which hadn't really occurred to me. It was just something I was doing, you know. And it was at that point I thought, well, you know, until that point, I wasn't really sure what people were engaging with it for. And then people, because I was about to leave and do something else or whatever, carry on my life, I would have lost all that connection with everyone. So it just made me think about it. I think it was about a year in. I thought, right, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to tweet on the Beatles and tea and see where it goes. And then the zine came out of that sort of thing. And what rules and criteria do you put on a photograph before it makes the cut to either go onto the uh, Twitter account or into the title book? It has to be before they broke up. So what would that be? Uh, when would that be? Well, I mean, I, I, I guess the this this is a really interesting question in itself. Where do you draw the line? Is it when Paul puts out the press release uh, for his first <laughs> album, or do you think it's from when John left the band? Well, this week I realised that one of my favourite photos of Paul up in Scotland with his lovely beard and a, a lovely jumper on and a cup of tea. I think that's probably just too late. So whenever that photo was might be the moment, wow. the first post beetle team. Wow, you could be, yes, Beatle. captured captured on film by Linda, presumably. Yeah, it was heartbreaking when I realised that probably doesn't count. <laughs> so anyone, whatever it is, before they broke up, and there has to be some level of engagement with the tea, it looks like it's either being used by them, going to be used by them, or the real creme de la creme being used by them. Oh. That's, that's... <laughs> That's yeah, big, yeah, yeah. How often do you find a new photograph of the Beatles holding a cup of tea? Oh man, these days, once a month, once every two months, perhaps. On oh, no, a holding cup of tea. Nah, it's rare now, man. It really is rare. And I'm guessing you've got a whole community of people who, if they happen across something, they will send it to you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That that is the best bit. I mean, you know, there's this sort of. Uh, shyness where they always say oh, i'm sure you've seen this one i honestly don't mind if i've seen it a thousand <laughs> times i don't get bored and of course the thing about photos online is that they're not always the same they get cropped or the photos or photos of the bad quality or whatever so every time you see one there's, there's, there's something new about it even if it's one i've seen before there's the, the photos are so rich you know there's always something in the background you can't figure out what date it was or what what song they were working on and the tea is just your way in because it makes you look at something. And that's one of the problems and why I wanted to do a zine and not just do it online is that if you do something online, it tends to fly past you. You know, there's all this other information. But to actually sit and stare at something, it's hard to do on a computer or your phone, I think. How worried are you that what is in the cup might be coffee or bovril in hot water? <laughs> it doesn't really. <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely sometimes tea. And that's good yeah. enough for me. I think they mention tea enough in interviews that it's a big part of their life. How, how did they take their tea? It's a big question. I don't know. 
from photos, at some point in the early 60s, they all took milk and sugar. But things like, I don't know if they used tea bags, not sure about that. Definitely the later 60s, George got into more posh teas. So I'm assuming they all did. But I think that's all part of the sort of, uh, the way they matured, you know. The music changed, the taste and tea changed, and that's all part of growing up in it. Although mine hasn't. But yeah, it's, it's that, that's the real frustration, is that no, nobody's ever looked into the Beatles and tea. <laughs> so there's no, there's no sort of... Uh, historical facts. I, I would, if there was a book, I mean, if, if there was a dense book about it, I am the person who would buy it. Although I say that, I mean, there's a legion of Beatles <laughs> fans who would. Was their tea commonly being made by Mal, their roadie who's beloved by uh, Beatle fans, or is he just dispatched to the canteen at EMI Studios in Abbey Road to fetch tea? I think it's a combination. My take on it, and it's only, well, it's partly imaginary. <laughs> it was a, com- a, com- a combination of the two. He would fetch it, but I, th- you know, did the component parts, if you were. But I think, a bit like he'd be the only one trusted to set set of Ring- Ringo's drums or something. <laughs> Get it just right to be exactly mild. Couldn't be anyone else. But that's partly my imagination. I'd like it to be true. The only account I know of is um, one of the Apple Scruffs wrote a book called Waiting for the Beatles, which is very hard to get, but someone sent me a bit. And it says exactly how George took his tea in 1969, ah, I think, so very late. What did you learn? Well, I can't remember what make it is. It's a very posh make, and it's Earl Grey, and he'd either have one and a half teaspoons of sugar or one and three quarters. And how you get one and three quarters, I'm not <laughs> sure, but that's what she, she, she learned, which isn't that different to what I think they'd have had all through the 60s. Just a posher brand. We know that they were biscuit eaters. There, there is this is quite yes. well documented. How likely is it that they were dunkers? Well, there's photographic evidence of John and Paul having a dunk. I'm not sure I've seen George and Ringo dunking. Mm. I'll have to get back to you so on that. It looks like the songwriting team of Lennon McCartney, and yeah. presumably with John, it would have been a, a chocolate Oliver, which was his uh, famously his favourite <laughs> biscuit. I've still not had had one of them. I'll have to at some point. I was I was thinking about uh, this. I didn't do the research. I didn't put in the hard yards here. But before I called you, I um I scribbled down the Beatles songs I could think of, which mentioned tea, which were all together now. Can I bring my friend to tea? Um, good morning, good morning. Time for tea and meet the wife. And um, lovely Rita, when are you free to take some tea with me? Are there more? Cry baby, cry comes right. to mind. Uh, not just Coca-Cola always arriving late for tea the problem you get with tea is that it's not always the drink is it it could be the meal oh yeah so time for tea and meat yes it's it's certainly ambiguous and and almost definitely yeah and the the lovely thing I'm not sure it's tea he's inviting them back for but when when you say take some tea, that's that sounds sort of archaic and like a tea drinking ritual. But tea was drug slang yes. on it, and, and it being a um, more of a come on than a come out some tea. Day in the life as well. well uh, drunk a cup. Drunk, drunk yeah, a cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which could be anything, but but the evidence, you know, I'm going with the, the strong circumstantial evidence that it's tea. <laughs> yeah. Now, I just wanted to talk to you about the magazine because. Uh, anybody who I guess was a fan of the Beatles as it was happening and anybody who later became a fan and would rummage through, through secondhand shops uh, will be familiar with the sort of like a fan clubish magazine, the Beatles book monthly, um, which were these 
lovely little magazines, even up to the point when they were the the serious muso yeah. Beatles, uh, full of Beatle news and photographs and interviews, and um, and you have very lovingly recreated or, or certainly paid homage to the the Beatles monthly book mm. with the Teetles book. Can you tell me a bit about that? My, my original idea was to do an exact replica of the Beatles book monthly. I think they look fantastic. I mean, they're, they're funny little things, especially as you say, the books didn't change as the Beatles changed. They were kind of trying to report on them in the same way. So it comes across as quite twee and quite nice and I like them. But the idea was just, just to, to sort of continue them. And, but the original idea was just to write about tea, which I still try to, but it's not quite, it's not quite <laughs> enough to keep it going over eight, eight, eight or nine issues. But I really like them. And the, 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 they're like little time capsules, you know. If you want to know what it was like being a Beatles fan in 1960, whatever, read on them. It doesn't let you know what it's like to be a Beatle then. I think it's all very, you know, careful what they report on. But it gives you an awful lot into what it must be like to be a fan. It's been quite frustrating in a way to get these little glimpse of things through through the Beatles books. But it's nice now to look back on, I think. It's all so simple, you know. And and the the, the I haven't had, a, you know, I've not been lucky enough to have a Teetles book in my hand, but they look like such faithful reproductions. You talked about your love <laughs> of zines, but what, what is your background in publishing or, or being having the skills to get something like that made? Oh, I haven't got any background in anything like that. It was just... Um, uh, how to go at it, that's really... Because before then, I'd only made zines like w- the old school way with a photocopy and that. But I've got these professionally printed and that, you know, so I've made an effort. But it's but partly our responsibility because I get sent stuff all the time, people want writing about their experiences with the Beatles or their how they fell in love with the Beatles or just something about the Beatles at their in, in, in incidents. So I feel a real responsibility to them to do a good job and make it nice, make it something that people want to read. So that's where it comes from, really. If people didn't send me stuff and if, if people didn't keep buying it, I, I wouldn't do it. It's not enough just to do it. It's so nice when, when people get involved. And what is the print yeah. run? Well, 200, something like that. So I've sold about 1,700 wow. of the seven that have been made so far, which blows my little mind. <laughs> it sounds like an awful lot. It may not sound like a lot to other people, but it's, not, but it's, 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 it's a big ask for people to, you know, go back in time and buy a little little book to read. But I think the people that, that like it, they do appreciate that it's a real thing and it's old-fashioned. I've asked you to pick a song, which we'll have in a minute, but what is what is that song going to be and why? When, when you said, yeah, the, when it came to mind, it's all too much. It mentions tea, so it's a nice little connection. But it's just one of them Beatles songs where it's almost easy to forget it exists. Before I do that, I'll just give you some quick Beatles questions. Which Beatles parent or guardian would you be most intimidated by? Um, it'd have to be Aunt Mimi, wouldn't it? That's the only answer that springs to mind. They'll all seem quite nice about her. I'm sure she was nice, just in her, in her own way. What's best, the first chord of A Hard Day's Night or the last notes of She Loves You? Ooh. The first chord. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Was there a point at which the Beatles were too hairy? And if so, what was that point? No, I don't think so. I think the, pro- the point would have been if they were all very hairy at the same time. If you could own any artefact from Beatle history, what would that be? A cup of tea, one of the teacups. Probably, <laughs> and I thought about this actually, when they were filming Let It Be in Twickenham, it took them a while to get actual cups of tea. I think they were drinking out of uh, plastic cups. So we very no- 
noticeably that the standard of cups they had when they moved back into Apple, big mugs. The first time they really had big mugs. That's what I want, one of their big mugs from them. Would you rather live in Paul's house in St John's Wood or John's big mansion at Tittenhurst Park? Oh, Paul's house. I think about that house a lot. Do you personally call it the White Album or the Beatles? Always the White Album. It's too confusing saying the Beatles because you have to explain it. After. Yes. Would you have rather been at the All You Need Is Love recording and telecast or the rooftop concert? For the sake of warmth. Or, or, <laughs> or, or, I, I, I can't imagine it sounded that good, did it, on, on the roof? Would George's All Things Must Pass have been better as a Beatles song? No. Do Free As A Bird and Real Love count? Yeah. If they weren't nice songs, I'd say no. <laughs> but I like them, so it's yes. And finally, would John Lennon have been on Twitter in a personal capacity? We're not talking about his management. We're talking about John Lennon tweeting about the day's events if he had lived. Oh, I, I don't think so. Yeah. That, that's wishful thinking. I'm going to play your uh, your selection. It's all too much in a second. Before I do and oh, before yeah. you are drowned out by the A Day in the Life Orchestra, tell us what it is that is so special about the Beatles. Everything, every little thing about them interests me. It's not one thing or it's not hundred things. It's every little thing seems to work to make them exciting. And I could sit here all day and just talk about any little... I mean, I, I spend my life talking about them drinking tea. That's, that's, that's where it's at. Any little bit, you can talk about their shoes, the way the hair changed, which isn't the point because the point is the songs and they're perfect. But every little thing about them is exciting. I can't think of where that applies anywhere else. But everything works, you know. Mind blowing. <laughs> this is Beetlejuice with Jeff Lloyd. Well, that was superb. <laughs>